Good evening. Well, welcome to Wednesday evening chapel. It is the ninth Wednesday of this term. <clears throat> Congratulations. Yeah. Speaker of the evening, uh, some of you know as the professor for Introduction to Christian Service. Others of you know him as the pastor of Northeast Community Church in Colorado Springs. It's Pastor Will Mackey. Would you welcome him, please? He's going to help us continue our journey of being open to, uh, to whatever the Lord has to say for us, say to us, say for us, and then waits for our response. Uh, stand with me and let's pray this prayer. Hear my Lord, purify me. One more time. Hear my Lord, purify me. Let's pray. Make it so. Amen. Father, we hope this evening that you received our worship. We've gathered together with that being the principal thing in mind for you to be honored, glorified to ascribe to you honor and glory in a public place to bring praise and glory to your name Father we love you we love you thank you for all that you've done for us thank you for treating each one of us far better than any of us deserve to be treated. Thank you for that love that sought us out. Thank you for that heart of mercy that turned toward us. Thank you for that all-encompassing and ever-powerful grace that touched our lives. Thank you. Father, we pray that that never becomes casual in our thinking. We pray that those great truths will always be sublime in our minds. We love you. As we open your word tonight, we ask, Father, that you'd be our teacher. We ask that you would show us what we need to see. Help us think what we need to think. Help us respond in the way that we need to respond. We pray in the name of Jesus. Oh, that name that we love. That person that we love. The one we follow. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. We're working in the book of Acts tonight, Acts chapter 8. If you take your Bibles and turn with me there, it'd be great. Acts chapter 8, we'll be looking at a passage beginning in verse 26. We're looking tonight at a two to three day event 
in the ministry life of Philip. Let me give you the context first. The church began in Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost. The church grew by leaps and bounds. They saw the power of the Spirit daily. After months, perhaps even a year, of this fantastic, fruitful ministry, persecution broke out. Hard, fast, brutal persecution. And the Word says that those who followed Christ, except for the apostles, got out of Dodge. Got out of Jerusalem. Left. One of those was Philip. Philip winds up in Samaria. But does Philip hide in the basement of a house? No. Does Philip just sulk because the Lord had allowed hard things to happen to those he knew in Jerusalem? No. What does Philip do? He starts evangelizing. He starts proclaiming the gospel to anyone who would listen. And God anointed and blessed that in such a powerful way that people were coming to Christ right and left. People were being baptized and churches were being started. All because God allowed persecution to break out. And it's in that context, in the midst of enormous revival, in the midst of enormous church planning, in the midst of enormous evangelism, that we begin in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the, pro the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? The man said, unless someone explain it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And as he gave orders to stop the chariot, both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. You and I are called to live in two worlds. That's not a surprise to you tonight, is it? 
We live in two worlds, and we're called to be loyal to two worlds, to be good citizens in both worlds. There is the kingdom of this earth. We are called to be good citizens there. We are placed here, born in a certain place at a certain time, raised by certain people. And then there's the kingdom of Christ that we are born again into. As ministers, as those preparing for ministry, I want to challenge you tonight. I want to, I think tonight what our call is, is to review some characteristics of what it means to live in the kingdom of Christ. We know how to live in the earthly kingdom. We know what that life looks like. We know our culture. We know the patterns that our culture seems to squeeze us into. But how do those two worlds, how do we live in both worlds successfully? And how do we live in both worlds while being uh, very uh, loyal to one, the kingdom of Christ? What does that life look like? What are some characteristics that you and I as ministers of the gospel face and live with every single day? From this passage, I want to give you ten words tonight. Ten words. Because they're ten, we're just going to spend a couple minutes on each. Ten words. The first word is persecution. To understand that, you've got to understand the context behind this passage. As I mentioned earlier, Philip, as well as all the disciples of Christ, experienced persecution. That's where this material world starts to beat up on those loyal to another world. Where they start to put pressure, where they start to put, they start to hurt. They start to do all kinds of things. And what was Philip's response? They left. They ran. They hid. They moved to another town. Persecution. Harassment, we might call it today. In America, we really don't understand persecution personally. But we do understand harassment, don't we? We do understand people trying to embarrass us or humiliate us because of our love for Christ or our stance for truth. We need to understand that as ministers of the gospel, this word is always going to be part of our lives. And you and I have got to learn how to deal with this victoriously. It has been a part of the life of those who follow Christ from day one. It will be a part of the life of those who follow Christ until the last day. Persecution. Persecution. How do you deal with it? Can you stand it? Can you go through it and not become angry at God? Is your theology in such a way that you somehow believe that God is there to protect you? That God is there to hold your hand? That God is there to keep anything ugly and bad out of your lives? And if He permits persecution, if He permits that at work, if He permits that in your life, what's your response? What will you do? Is your faith strong enough? Is your focus on Christ clear enough that God could allow persecution to come to your life and you would love Him, that you would love Him anyways? That you would see that time of persecution not as God being mean to you or not as God letting you down? Those are the kinds of things the enemy whispers in our ear, doesn't he? Yep. Or can you see this as somehow a part of the wisdom of God? Can you submit to Him in the midst of it and look for the opportunities that every single persecution brings to further the gospel?
persecution. It is a characteristic of being in Christ's kingdom. Get used to it. Understand it. Learn how to fight it. Learn how to be successful through it. Because it will not go away. Second word. Leadership. Notice the first part of the verse. Now an angel of the Lord said, As people who follow the kingdom of Christ, we are led in a different way than the people who simply live on the kingdom of earth. Would you agree with that? The kingdom of earth is led, obviously, by a government, by uh, uh, federal, state, local influencers, is led much by instinct, is led by influence, is led by the media. But you and I, as believers of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, we are led by God himself. Leadership, divine leadership specifically. That is a quality and a character in our lives as we live each day in the kingdom of Christ. Leadership. We get our direction from God. We don't get our direction from our education, although education is extremely important. We do not get our direction from our experience, although experience is very important. Each and every day we wake up and we get our direction from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a part of his kingdom. He's the king. We're residents in the kingdom and we get our direction from him and out of our fellowship with him. Amen? Leadership. Persecution, leadership. Third word I want to show you tonight is faithfulness. Notice that an angel of the Lord said this to Philip. Why Philip? Why Philip? You have to also understand the context of this. Philip was faithful with what he had been entrusted. Do you understand this principle? That God usually uses the people who are already faithful, who are busy obeying, he very rarely uses the person who is lazy, who sits on the sidelines, who is not engaged in the work of the kingdom. But he almost always uses the person who has been faithful with the light they have already. Philip was faithful with the light he had already. He loved the Lord. And he did not, as we said in the beginning, allow persecution to stifle that love or to blur that vision. He took it to another town. And he began to proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ. He was faithful with what he had been given, no matter the circumstances that he faced. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Persecution. Leadership. Faithfulness. Fourth word. There we are. Obedience. Obedience. Notice this, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, I want you to go south through the road. You know that desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And what does the text said? Read it with me. So he started out. That's a characteristic of living in the kingdom of Christ. Not only do we put up with persecution and learn to function through it, not only do we get our leadership directly from God himself, not only are we faithful with the things already entrusted to us, 
But a fourth characteristic is, when our master says go, we what? We go. Obedience is a quality in the kingdom of God. It's a necessity in the kingdom of God. We don't question our master. We don't question his instructions. While I understand the reality of that, sometimes we, we need a little process time to understand the ramification of what he's asking. But for the saved heart, for the heart filled with God's spirit, the response is what? Obedience. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. If you say it, the answer is yes. Then I'll think about it. It's not, let me think about it and I'll get back to you, God. It's yes. Now I'm going to process this so that I can do the yes properly. Obedience. Obedience. Philip was of that mindset. When the angel of the Lord said to that, Philip did not say, well, we got a lot of good things happening here. <laughs> I mean, I got this baptism service planned tomorrow and, you know, I... I got dinner over there, and I got this discipleship class planned for so-and-so and so-and-so. When the Lord said go, Philip went. That's a characteristic in Christ's kingdom. Fifth word, inconvenience. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Where Philip was, this was a two to three day journey through hostile territory. Because this desert road was south of Jerusalem and Samaria was just north of Jerusalem so he had to go through the place that he just left in order to get to the place that God was leading him to. Philip understood the qualities and the characters of the kingdom of God. He understood that when God called, we say yes, but he understood that a natural consequence of obedience is what? Inconvenience. When you look through the word, you realize that in almost each and every time, it is, a, it is the responsibility of the believer, the disciple of Christ, to be inconvenienced, to give up, to sacrifice, in order that a lost person might hear the gospel. It is not on the backs of the lost to be at the right place at the right time to hear the right message. It is in the responsibility of the believer who follows Christ to obey in such a way that those encounters can happen. If you're going to be in the kingdom of Christ, we need to get used to the idea that our lives will be filled with inconvenient things. Now, I don't want to take that too far to the other ditch. It's not constant 24-7 inconvenience. There are breaks from inconvenience. There are boundaries that we are allowed to put on our lives so that we can evaluate which inconvenience we accept and which inconvenience we cannot accept. You only accept the inconveniences that are from the Lord, but in ministry you're going to have a lot of people trying to put inconveniences on you. And it's okay to say a wonderful, magical word that is my favorite word in the whole dictionary. No. No. To get used to the concept of inconvenience does not mean we become doormats, except for the Lord. And let me tell you, there's a lot of ministry that's happened when I've been a doormat. Sometimes the Lord calls you to be a doormat because as people are stepping on you, they're seeing the depth of the love of Christ in your life. They're seeing the depth of the grace of God flowing out of you as you're being pushed down.
Sometimes we're called to be a doormat. I've got to be honest with you. If I were to stand before you and say that's not true, I would be lying. But on the other side of that, you need to understand that it's not doormats filled 24-7. Amen. But if you're going to be a minister in the kingdom of God, we have got to understand that the word inconvenience will be a friend of ours. We've got to learn how to hold other things loosely. Now by other things, I don't mean your family. You understand, I understand a good priority. When you're in ministry, you keep your family in priority. You love them, you protect them, and you spend time with them. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that in ministry, that favorite TV program, that, that wonderful hobby that you have, that those don't always get to happen as regularly as you want them to. Why? Because the Lord leads you and expects you to obey, and that obedience will be inconvenient sometimes. And are those who follow Christ who are asked to get up and go. We need to get used to it. It will be a part of our lives. Next word is wisdom. Specifically God's wisdom. Notice the text. He said, go south to the road. The desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Here's the verse that gives me a headache. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. If you look on a map, you suddenly discover that this whole equation doesn't make sense through human eyes. You've got Samaria here, you've got Jerusalem here, and you've got the road that goes down to Gaza here. Now Philip is up here having a great time in the Lord. Fruit like crazy. Revival, church planning, evangelism happening. This guy had been in Jerusalem to worship, probably converted to Judaism and was going through several of the Jewish ceremonies, perhaps even there weeks, maybe a month. The disciples were still in Jerusalem. See the problem? Let me get this straight. This guy was a month in Jerusalem where the apostles are right there. And yet he is not one to Christ in Jerusalem. God waits till he's on his way home in a desert place and brings a guy who's experiencing incredible spiritual fruit in the north and brings him all the way south to win this one guy to the Lord. It's not logical. Ah, the point. Ministry, life in the kingdom, building the kingdom. We do not do it based on human logic. Now logic is a God-given thing. And I'm not dissing logic. Logic is good. But logic cannot lead. It must be divine wisdom that leads. Often God will ask you and I to do things that make no sense whatsoever. That's when you go back and you check with the word and you check in prayer and you may even check with a trusted friend who you know can touch heaven and you go I believe God's asking me to do this and it doesn't seem logical to me will you pray with me but often times God will lead us to do things that are not doesn't fit the realm of human logic but perfectly fits the realm of divine wisdom 
as citizens in the kingdom, as workers in the kingdom, as people who, have get, who give their lives to building the kingdom of Christ, we have to understand that we depend more upon the wisdom of God, the word of God, than we do on human ways of thinking, human logic. Amen? I told you we were going through this kind of quick. They're easy. They, they don't need a lot of explanation, do they? Our next word is partnership. Partnership. And on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Catch the scene. He moves Philip from here with a ministry job. But while Philip is traveling, and as he's getting there, the Lord is also preparing the heart of the one he's supposed to minister to. That's called partnership. See, I don't think you quite got that. Your faces are showing me. You see, Philip's here. Go south. Go to a road. No, here's a specific road. And I want you to go there. He doesn't say, Philip, I want you to go for this reason. I just want you to go. Philip takes off. Puts a few things in his knapsack and heads out. As he's approaching, you can just see the scene. He's going, all right, I'm here, Lord. I'm here. Philip, see that chariot? Oh, yeah, I see it. I want you to go over there close to that chariot. Say near it. So Philip does a little jogging, you know. Gets over there. Walks beside that chariot. And he hears the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Partnership. Anytime the Lord leads you and leads me to minister to people, he will go before and prepare the way. He will prepare the heart for the truth that you have to say to them. He will do it. He invites us to a divine partnership. All of the weight of this isn't on your shoulder. It's not on your shoulder to persuade anybody about anything. You and I cannot do that. We cannot get in a person's head. We cannot get in their soul. We cannot get inside them and make them think any particular way or do any particular thing. You and I are simply messengers. We simply carry the truth. We simply live the truth and speak the truth in love. And as we live the truth and speak the truth, God prepares the heart. God plants the seed. And God brings the increase from that seed. Partnership. Isn't that exciting? He invites us to partnership. See, suddenly that ought to take a load off our shoulders. We ought to be, all be going a collective. Yeah. I can get into partnership. Partnership. Our next word, evangelism. Evangelism. As people in the kingdom, we will always be thinking about the lost. We will always be thinking about the lost. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about the church. About the program we're starting on Saturday. About Jesus. Our job is to introduce people to the person of Jesus Christ. Now we want them plugged into our church because they need the discipleship. Without the church 
so much of the will of God they cannot fulfill. But our job is not to build the church. It's to build the kingdom. And if we're doing it right, the church will grow too. Evangelism. If you and I are going to be in the kingdom of God, if we're going to work in the kingdom of God, we've got to understand our hearts will always be with the lost. We'll always be thinking about them. We'll always be praying for them. We'll always be trying to discover new ways to share the gospel with them. Evangelism is a key word as we live in the kingdom. Our next word is discipleship. Discipleship. Notice what happens here. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Baptism is the first step of discipleship. We think of it as, as the crowning end of evangelism. It's not. It's the first step of discipleship. Baptism is where we begin to bring people into the body of Christ, when they begin to associate publicly with the body of Christ. Now granted, Philip only does the beginning end of discipleship. He has to trust, because the Spirit has other plans, he has to trust that someone else will pick up those reins and will help this man grow in his knowledge of Jesus Christ and help his faith mature. We don't know the story. We don't know from this point forward in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch. But Philip starts the discipleship process. In that discipleship, he, I mean, in that baptism, he helps him understand that you are a part of the body of Christ. That you are to publicly identify yourself with the body of Christ. Discipleship is the beginning of fellowship. True koinonia. Baptism is the beginning of maturing faith. And one last word. Unfinished. Notice verse 40. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. As citizens in the kingdom of God, as participants in the kingdom of Christ, there is something that we need to understand. Our work is never finished. It is never finished. Philip goes from one assignment to the next. He finishes it strong, and the Spirit leads him, and he preaches the gospel in all the towns. Now, now let's not take that concept and go to the ditch with it. Because of this very characteristic of the kingdom of Christ, you and I need boundaries around us. Boundaries like a Sabbath day. Do you understand that the Lord does not call you or I to work 24-7? Do you understand that? Do you understand that we need boundaries? Because our work is never finished, your to-do list will never be done. You need to get used to that idea. You need to accept it and quit fighting it. You need to understand that is simply a characteristic of the kingdom of Christ. We're always working. We're always serving. We're always trying to reach that one more. But you and I need boundaries around our lives. We need a break from the work. There are times we need to put down our sword. 
for some rest. We need to be attentive to our own soul. We need to minister, be ministered to spiritually. We need to take care of our bodies. We need to take care of our minds. We need to make sure we're getting the proper rest and exercise, that we're eating right, that we have time with our families, not leftover times, planned times. When you look at your weekly schedule, you schedule the things with your family first and build ministry around that. If you do it the other way around, guess what happens? You never get to it. A couple years of that, and you have one frustrated spouse. You have suddenly greatly disconnected kids. I'm so sweet, flies, you know. Unfinished. That's a part of our work. That's a part of the kingdom of Christ. Ten words, ten characteristics of living life daily in the kingdom of Christ. It's what you're called to if you are called to the ministry. It's what you're called to if you're called to the ministry. It's better that we face it, we accept it, and we learn how to manage these things with the wisdom and power of the Spirit. It's better that we go into these things with the right mindset, with the right heart, with those right boundaries in place. And if you will do that, if you'll do that, you'll not only survive ministry, but you'll flourish in it. And when you're old and gray, and your kids have long left the house, and your grandkids are coming over, your kids will say to you, it was good that I was raised in a pastor's home. It was good that we were in ministry. That's the goal. You know that's the goal, right? So many times the opposite happens, doesn't it? It's not supposed to happen. It doesn't need to happen. When it happens, more often than not, it's because of a lack of wisdom, of a lack of balance, the inability to say no. That doesn't have to be your story. Do you believe that? I want us to end tonight. I want us to pray. And I want us to just, new and fresh, dedicate ourselves to these ten words, these ten concepts tonight. Would you do that with me tonight? Would you find a place of prayer? And let's talk to our Father. Heavenly Father, every single person in this room tonight loves you. They love you. They are committed to you. You have called them into ministry, whether it is them and their family or their family member. But when their family is called into ministry, they are called as well. And they have said yes. And they have said yes to the extent that they have many have left home and security and come here in order to obey you. They get what I'm saying tonight. They get it. But sometimes, Father, living in this material world, 
we almost subconsciously begin to feel that we are supposed to operate in the kingdom of Christ under the same principles that we operate in the kingdom of man. Father, your word has shown us tonight that there are differences. Father, we commit ourselves new and fresh to you tonight and commit ourselves to these ten kingdom characteristics. We know there will be persecution. We will love you in spite of it. We will look for opportunities in the midst of it so that your grace and your truth can be proclaimed. Father, we commit ourselves to receiving your leadership. commit ourselves to being faithful with the light already given us to making good choices every day with the truth that you have already shown us father we commit to obedience we commit to move out when you say move we trust you and we trust your word we trust your guidance and when you say to do something we trust that it is the very best that can be done. And we say yes to you every time. Father, we commit to the concept of inconvenience. We know that a life called by you to be in ministry is a life often filled with inconvenience. We are the ones who get up and go. We are the ones who go find the lost. Father, we commit to wisdom, your wisdom tonight. We commit to not trying to, to cram you and your way into human logic. We commit to seeking divine wisdom that comes from your spirit and your word. And walking in that wisdom even if that doesn't quite seem logical. Father, we commit to partnership tonight. Knowing that whatever you call us to and whoever you call us to, that you have gone before and prepared the way. And that we are not alone in ministry, we are partners in ministry with you. Father, we commit to evangelism tonight. We commit to a heart and a life that is always concerned about the lost. That is always looking on the other side to see whom we might talk to about Jesus. Father, we're committed to discipleship tonight. Taking those we win to Christ and pouring ourselves into them and teaching them everything that you have commanded us so that their faith can grow and mature and they can in turn win and disciple others. And Father, we lastly commit to the concept of unfinished. That our work on this earth will not be done until we leave this earth in death or you come back to this earth a second time. We commit to you these ideas, these characteristics. Our lives must be about these things if your kingdom is to go forward 
if others are to hear, if others are going to make heaven their home. We're your servants completely, and we love you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.